All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Overcome and Become podcast, as always, with my co-host, Humberto Kaufman, and special guest today, IFBB Pro, Cody Drobot. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good, fellas. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Cody, I guess a lot of people are really looking forward to seeing you step on stage uh, for the first time in the Pro League. Obviously, there's probably a lot of hype behind it, especially with the COVID year, a lot of shows getting canceled. And I believe you won your pro card at 2019 Vancouver Pro, right? Yes, that is correct. That was my uh, my return year to bodybuilding. I had competed in Classic for the last two to three years prior before that. And then uh, made the switch back to bodybuilding just because I just felt it was a better fit for me. Fair enough, man. I got to ask, like, how many how many shots at a pro qualifier did it take before you finally got it? I've been competing at pro qualifiers since 2015, I guess, since... Uh, since I was a junior, that my last year of juniors there was 2015, um, <clears throat> where top three junior class was Regan Grimes, Christopher Bumstead, and myself. And um, that was my last year of bodybuilding, actually. And then 2016, as you guys know, the classic division came out. And uh, at the time, I believe I, I was much lighter than I am now, obviously. Uh, my weight, I was competing as a light middleweight. I don't even think they have the light middleweight class anymore at the, the national level, but I was competing as a, as a light middleweight uh, at about 173 pounds, which was also the height and weight requirement for, for my height in classic. So then that's why I decided to try my hand in classic and I competed in classic 2016, 17, 18, and then, uh, as you know, switched to bodybuilding 2019. I started. actually had the, sorry, Byron, I had the pleasure no, of uh, stepping on stage with you, actually. Yeah, I, I remember, do uh, you remember that? <laughs> that was here in Edmonton. It was, yeah, it was 2017. Uh, I really, actually, that was the last nationals prior to the CPA coming in, 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 into fruition. It was, uh, in, yeah, in uh, Edmonton, I think it was. Yeah, I believe you were working with Dura at the time, weren't you? I was, yeah. Uh, do you do you coach yourself that year, or were you working with someone? Nah, so no, I would have been with uh, Mr. Dustin Cosman that year. Yeah, it was. Um, from what I remember, uh, you going into that show, you had a hard time, I guess, finding that balance because you were uh, limited by that cap. Uh, I think uh, previously the criticism for your physique was that you needed to bring up your lower body, uh, quite specifically. I think um, Just legs in general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember you had pretty pretty good hamstrings actually. Your side chest, the hamstrings were well developed. It was the quads, I think, mostly that. Uh... Yeah, de definitely quads, but overall leg development in general, I was uh, is where I really needed to improve on. But as you just mentioned, I was heavily restricted by that weight cap, so it was a little bit hard without without taking away and killing muscle from other areas to put on the the tissue that I needed to actually have a balanced, proportioned physique. <clears throat> Would you say that was the main reason for you to make the switch back from classic to bodybuilding? Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, for me to, you know, I, I realized for me to reach my full potential, um, I, I needed to switch back to the bodybuilding division and that's not, that's not a knock on the classic division. Obviously I, uh, the classic division is great. Uh, it's brought, brought a lot of, uh, a lot of new, new, um, fans to the sport. It's, it's the division is thriving, but um, just for, for me and my body type, I just, in order for me to reach my full potential, I needed to put on some extra weight. So what would be the difference, I guess, now uh, training with Neil Yoda Hill? Could you explain some of like his training, for example, like we were talking before you jumped on the podcast, he kind of has 
um, different methods. I'm just curious what your take is on it. Yeah. So he des- developed his Y3T uh, training discipline. So I have basically three weeks of training that I rotate through. Each week is different, whether it be my, uh, my eccentric movements are slower. Um, I have a vo- high volume week and then I kind of like have a deload week in a sense. He, with his training program, I'm definitely making sure I'm hitting you know, attacking those fast twitch muscle fibers as well as slow twitch muscle fibers and um, just keeping things moving every week. Nothing's ever really the same with his training. Like I, we have, <clears throat> we have, uh, my exercises are the same in those three weeks, not, not week to week, but um, that like three week rotation is what I follow, but um, it, it definitely keeps your body guessing. So when it came to, um, once you decided to move to bodybuilding, was there anything specific that you changed in your training to, to bring up your weaker parts, perhaps the lower body? Was there anything that, uh, that you learned from perhaps this new style of training that contributed? Because I, I, I got to say, the, the change that you were able to, to make from 2018 to that, that entire offseason all the way leading up to the Vancouver Pro Qualifier, your lower body was it just exploded. It, just, it was just something really, really amazing to watch that transformation. So I'm really curious to see what was the, was it primarily the fact that we're, you were just allowed to be heavier or did you actually were a little, perhaps a little bit more strategic when it came to your training? Uh, to be, to be honest, uh, I think it was just more so that I had that room to grow. I was able to eat more. I think food was the the biggest factor in, uh, in making the, those improvements to my lower body was definitely the food. It, cause it, it uh, the, my training never really switched up too uh, too drastically, to be honest, because I did, uh, I competed in classic under the guidance of Neil as well. So uh when I, when I made the transition from, from classic to bodybuilding, I was being coached by Neil. So the training didn't really change too much. It was more so the food and that, uh, that allowance that it was like the shackles were taken off and I could really, uh, grow into myself. Just really push the food to actually put, put the size <laughs> on. Yeah. You know, it, like <laughs> as much as I would love to say that we came up with some extravagant, uh, secret training philosophy, <laughs> it, uh, I, I would, uh, I would say it was it was the food really that uh, allowed me to make those games. I'm glad you said that because the biggest thing, especially that new competitors or new people that get into fitness, they want think the secret. That they want the secret. <laughs> they think they think there's some magic formula, some special drug cycle that's going to help them pack on pounds and pounds of muscle. It's really just the training and food. Yeah, spoiler alert, guys. It's it's a simple bodybuilding. You know, at when you break it down, bodybuilding is actually very simple. It's uh, I know this is sounds incredibly cliche. You always hear consistency is key, but there is no truer statement. Consistency really is key, and it really shows who is consistent at the end of the day, right? Absolutely, uh, Co- Cody. So, one of the biggest questions I got from people, and I got it from multiple um, multiple national level competitors who just want to know. Can you describe what it was like when you were in the overall and they finally just said like your new IPB pro Cody Drawball, like what, what did it feel like in that moment? Man, um, that's a good question. It's, it's almost indescribable. I went into that show with zero expectations. The only, I guess the only expectation you could say that I had on myself was I just wanted to reestablish myself as a bodybuilder. Like I mentioned before, I hadn't stepped on stage as a bodybuilder since 2015. So now, you know, fast forward to 2019, I'm trying my hand at bodybuilding again. I just, um, 
I just wanted to reestablish myself as a bodybuilder. You know, as you mentioned, I, I had a lot of work to to do to improve my my legs, my lower body, and uh, that was that was something that I I really wanted to make sure I had improved um, by the time I stepped on stage as a bodybuilder again. And so when I when I won the light heavyweight division, I, I could have went home and I would have been happy. Um, so when it came time to go on stage for the overall. They actually, I wasn't able to go uh, eat my meals. So I had to, I got off stage for light heavies and I wanted to go backstage to go eat so that I could um, be ready for the overall, but they didn't want to lose me. You know how it is backstage at shows sometimes it gets pretty hectic and they don't want to lose competitors that they, that they know will be going on stage soon. I had to kind of stand behind the curtain off to the side and I had to go, I had to wait for heavyweights to do their thing, their posing routines, their awards. And then I had to wait for super heavies to do their call outs, their routines, their awards. And then we went out for the overall. So I was a little bit worried that I was flattening out as I was waiting uh, to go on stage because I just, I didn't have anything to tie me over essentially. But um, I just, I pushed all the the stress and the worry out of my mind. Cause as you guys know, stress and, and cortisol is, uh, is not our friend when we're about to go on stage. So I just, I just had fun with it, man. And then when they called my name, it, it wasn't necessarily a shock because make no mistake, I, I busted my ass to get there, but um, it was, it was definitely a, a surreal, surreal moment for me. I had tears. I had tears. Let's just say that I was, I was choking back tears. So it was a very, very happy moment for me. It's like um, now I finished that chapter and I'm moving on to a new chapter of my bodybuilding career now. That's amazing. And, and I think um, <clears throat> there's something to be said about the approach that you took for that uh for that prep, uh, meaning you put, you had no expectations, right? As long as you have the, the work ethic down to a T and you, you know what it requires to bring your absolute best, I think sometimes doing it this way could potentially be beneficial because you're not putting more pressure on yourself perhaps than, than you know, if you were just focused on that overall or that pro card. Yeah. And, Absolutely, and man. And uh, I think a lot of people place a lot of a lot of expectations on themselves, which is obviously good. You know, we're all competitors. We're I don't think anyone's getting on that stage without the intent to win. So we all want to win, obviously. But I think some people, uh, they, they place those heavy expectations on themselves and it causes stress and it's almost like uh, it's counterproductive. So when I did that prep, man, that was honestly the funnest prep I think I've, I've ever had. And that's saying something because I love prepping um, off season to me is much harder than, than prep. Uh, I can, I, I can suffer and, and get my weight down. Obviously I had to for classic, but uh, the hard part for me is, is definitely all the all the eating in the off season. So off season seems more more daunting and more work, if you will. Whereas prep is uh, is fun for me. So what was the weight difference between, let's say, your weight cap? Because I'm assuming you were pretty close to the, to the weight cap when you were doing classic, and your stage weight, um, you know, at uh, the 2019 bodybuilding pro qualifier. So when I weighed in for classic, actually at the Vancouver Pro Am in 2018. Um, I weighed in like on 182 on the button. I think I might've been like 181.9 or something like that. My cutoff was 182. Uh, the following year as a bodybuilder, I stepped on the scale at 197. Mind you, I did have uh, about five meals in me before I stepped on the scale, mm -hmm. but, um, it was about uh, a 15 pound difference from stepping on the scale from classic to, uh, bodybuilding a year apart. Now, when you compare 
you know, a prep when you were at around final product being 182 in a prep where you put 15 pounds of muscle, would you say you felt any different throughout the process? Meaning, was there any, did you feel more tired, carrying that much more muscle? Was sleep any different? Were there any differences in how you were actually going through the prep because of this increasing weight? No, I wouldn't say so. Cause here's, so I'll add some clarity for, for everyone listening. So I stepped on the scale at 197, but like I mentioned, I had about five meals in me. So my true weight the following morning, uh, after the show was done, uh, I was awarded my pro card. Uh, my fiance and I, we got up the next morning, we went and did cardio. And then I came back to the house and I stepped on the scale and I was 190. Oh, wow. Okay. So put that to put that in, into perspective, 190 pounds. My cap now is a, as a 212 competitor is obviously 212. That leaves me about 22 pounds of, of true muscle to put on uh, before I reach the ceiling of the 212 division. That's crazy, man. <clears throat> it's crazy to think how much potential is there to actually continue growing and just improving overall. So that brings me exciting. to a question. Sorry. It's exciting. Yeah. It's going to be exciting to see. Do you plan on competing this year? See, Ah, man, I really want to. I really (laughs) want to. Um, I just started checking in with Neil again. I know you guys, you guys have had it really hard out your way with lockdowns and whatnot. Um, Same thing here. Our gyms have been closed for six of the past 12 months. I think you guys even longer. So for obvious reasons, that's that's hindered my ability to progress at an efficient rate. I've I've been able to, I've been fortunate enough, I have some buddies that have some equipment in their basements. So I've been training here and there, you know, getting basement workouts in, but it's not, it's not the same. It's enough to keep my sanity, but it's not enough to, you know, progress as a professional athlete at the, at the rate that I would like to progress at. So I'm back checking in with Neil, uh, Neil Hill, my coach again now. So we're just going to see how these next couple months go, how my, how my body responds so far. So good training is going well. My weight is coming back up. Um, so we'll see kind of how I'm looking at the end of the year here and then, uh, pick, make the choice from there. If we're going to pick some shows for the end of the year, he said maybe head to Europe at the end of the year, but, um, but we'll see. I was, I was looking at maybe doing Texas and Tampa cause I know those shows will happen for sure, but, um, I don't want to step on stage just to compete. Uh, this will be my pro debut as you guys know. So. I don't want to step on stage and, and people to say, oh, you, you can tell that guy's a new pro, like he, he's a new pro. I want to establish myself as a professional bodybuilder when I step on stage. So we'll see. Time will tell. That's more than fair, man. <clears throat> you want to make an impact, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wait it out. Uh, so I'm curious. So you're out in where in the States exactly? No, or I'm in Alberta. Canada. Edmonton, Alberta. For some yeah. reason, I thought you were in the States. I don't know why. Um, how did the deal with steel supplements happen? Um, so I have a friendship with Paul Ha, Jason Ha's brother. And um, at the time I was, I was, I was running with uh, Golden Aesthetics, the clothing company. Um, I believe it. Yeah. It was 2017 when I signed with steel, I was actually in the works uh, of discussing a contract with another company. And uh, the other company was a, was a company that Jason was, involved with in the past. So I had asked Paul, you know, if, uh, if he could get some insight from Jason and kind of let me know what it was like to work with this company. And, um, Jason Huh is someone that I've looked up to since I got into bodybuilding. I used to watch videos of him 
training before on YouTube before I'd go work out when I was a little younger. And uh, I can like I can remember when he turned pro and you know Jason he was uh, he was like the, the supposed to be the next big thing you know obviously and then life happened for him. But um, but that's a completely different talk topic. I've actually talked to him about that. Paul had given Jason my number and Jason had called me directly himself, which was also a pretty surreal thing for me when one year like gym or you're like bodybuilding heroes gives you a call. Um, so Jason just gave me some insight on, on the company and told me what his own experience was. And then at the end of the conversation, he, he had asked me, he said, so now that I got you on the phone, what would your thoughts be with signing with steel? And then he's like, if you're interested, I'll send you some product, try it out. Let me know what you think. If you're happy, then uh, we'll, we'll talk more. So they sent me a, a big care package of pretty much all the product that they had at the time. <clears throat> Steel had actually just launched earlier that year. So they sent me a bunch of product and I, I really liked all the products. So I, I gave him a call back and gave him my feedback. And then uh, he showed a lot of urgency. So the other company that I had mentioned that I was in the works with, I was waiting to hear back from them and it had been a couple of weeks. So I wasn't sure if maybe they had lost interest or, or what was going on. <clears throat> and Jason, he showed a lot of urgency with me. And he basically, when I told him that I was happy with the product and that, that I would love to sign with the team, he said, okay, let me sit down with my team. We'll come up with something that we can offer you. And then um, we'll get back to you. And then that same day, Jason called me back with an offer that I couldn't refuse. It was like unheard of as an amateur. So I took it and I've been with them ever since. That's huge, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It was uh, pretty surreal. Cause like I said, that was 2017. So I was still competing as a classic amateur at the time. And they've, uh, they've been really, really good to me over the years. Their products are great. Uh, they're a little tricky to get into to Canada. Our FDA is incredibly strict here. Like our, some of our, our BCAs have tryptophan in it. And uh, that's a banned substance here in Canada. Tryptophan occurs in Turkey naturally. I was actually going to say, like, you, now, you, sure. you, answered, you answered a question, actually, uh, that somebody had had. One of the local coaches here in Winnipeg actually was wanting to know about the steel supplements and why some of them are banned, for example. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just our FDA, man. It's really strict. Like tryptophan is such a such an odd substance that, that uh, Canada would deem banned or unsafe. It's not it's actually correct. Sorry. It's not that it's unsafe. It's that uh, they deem it a, a drug that only like a, a doctor should be able to prescribe. <clears throat> so that's why. Interesting. All right. Actually, so I'm curious. How did the friendship between you and Jenna happen? Me and her were kind of talking and the way I met her actually was the morning of my show this past October, some ridiculous stuff happened with like my tan. She, it, it had nothing to do with her, but it got super fucked up and she actually talked me off the ledge and I, I don't know, somewhere in conversation that came up, she's like, yeah, Cody had like a similar experience at one time, like kind of like that with the tan or something. And apparently you guys have been friends ever since something along those lines. Yeah. That's Jenna, man. That you're like your situation sounds very similar to how I met Jenna. I met Jenna a few years ago now at a bodybuilding show. I can't, I, I'm, I'm trying to think I, I, I had some issues with my tan, same thing. They weren't, they weren't anything. It wasn't anything that she did, but she helped correct the problem. And, um, <clears throat> you know how it is, man, being backstage before you're about to go on, you know, you put in months and months of hard work and, and everything that goes into a prep. So the last thing you want to be doing is stressing out and you don't want to be beside yourself backstage or when you're getting your tan. So she just, she helped 
bring me from here down to here. And then I was able to refocus. And that's just, that's Jenna. She's a, she's a people person, man. She really cares about uh, the people that she works with. She cares about uh, her company. She works very, very hard. I'm a, I'm a proud friend. That's for sure. <clears throat> wow. She's definitely uh, a gem, like one in a million. Uh, but for really people is, that don't know, that's uh, Jenna from Bombshell Productions, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say, Humberto? Uh, I was going to say, uh, from following you through the years, one thing that I've noticed uh, that is very uh, different from, uh, from you when it comes to your approach to bodybuilding is your posing. Uh, you are you seem to be very passionate about the posing. You're very good, very artistic style of posing. Thank you. Do you have any any background that uh, gave you this skill or ability, whether it, it was some sort of choreography or dancing or any artistic background or do, do you just have it naturally like when you when you um you know no i don't i like i have a very heavy sports orientated background i played baseball my whole life um i played a little bit of hockey i played football throughout high school um but and when it came to posing man uh, all my posing was essentially self-taught um and how i did that is i just found bodybuilders that i admired or that i liked whether it be their physique or their, or their stylistic posing. Uh, and I would just study them on YouTube and I would just watch and watch and watch and practice and watch and practice. And that's how I taught myself to pose. Have you ever taught, whether he was a friend or a client or someone that you know, have you ever taught him how to pose? Um, the reason uh, I yeah, ask I do. is- I, I do teach posing, yes. Yeah. The reason yeah. I ask is because I, I do that as well myself. And I've, you know, I've had plenty of experience with posing clients and I've noticed that I'm still trying to figure out whether that's something that you have innately, like ingrained in your brain from birth or whatever, or is it something that can perhaps be taught? Because for some people, I find that, you know, you mentioned, I, I watch it and I do it. That's not as easy for some people. A lot of people may watch it, try to do it. And this is complete <clears throat> chaos and a disaster. Right. And even with some clients, like for something very simple as it may be how, you know, you have your two ways of uh, doing a front double bicep. You have your, both feet straight on, basically equal. Your classic you bodybuilder. Right. Or you have your leg to the side where that could that itself could look a little bit awkward if you don't have that hip mobility or, or ability to, 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 to have that stance, right? So something as simple as that, I, find, I found that for some people, no matter how, how much you actually try to even position them or move them or explain it or whatever the case may be, it's just not something that comes them naturally naturally you know, you know what i mean <clears throat> so you said a key word mobility a lot of people don't realize this um because you also asked if i had a back down or a background in dance or choreography or something i have none um my rhythm is actually terrible i'm a terrible dancer so it's it, it's not that but what i do have which i think is it came hand in or goes hand in hand with posing is i have a a very uh definitive or clear understanding of how my muscles work i've always been able to you know pop my lats if you've if you you know teaching people posing uh new new competitors that's something that they always struggle with is being able to really get those lats out i've always had a very good understanding of how my muscles contract and how they move so that's i think goes hand in hand with my success in posing because as i said my my rhythm is terrible i'm a terrible dancer so it's it's definitely doesn't come from a dance background that's for sure and that's absolutely one thing that is <clears throat> really hard to teach someone if they don't have that connection with their lats if they're a lot of people are you can position them however you want and you can almost like 
manually try to make them bring out those laughs. If they don't have that connection, it's really hard for them to actually get it right. And they may get it right with you, with you or, in, you know, in the session, but then in order for them to do it on their own, it's very, very complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And also to touch back on what you said about mobility, a lot of people don't understand just how, how uh, important mobility is. So in order to hit some of these poses, you have to be flexible. If you're not stretching, if you don't incorporate stretching as a, as a normal part of your routine, a lot of guys, they only do that stuff when they're in prep. Um, which obviously, you know, that, that, that's great. You need to be doing that stuff when you're in prep, but if you want to truly become fully comfortable with your posing and make it look like it comes to you naturally, then you have to stay on that. Even in your off season, when you are bigger, when it's even harder to hit those poses, just because you are bigger. So mm-hmm. flexibility, um, which obviously results in better mobility is, is key. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that certain poses you'll see some people attempt whether it's floor poses or something similar it really exposes your lack of mobility because they're very unstable whether they are not really able to come fully down on that uh you know front side pose with one leg extended if you don't have that ankle mobility that is really supporting everything is you're really off balance or you're just not even able to go low enough and it kind of becomes a half fully standing half floor type of pose right yeah. it looks forced it looks uncomfortable too Yes. And then obviously if it, if it looks like that for everyone else, then it doesn't look very good. A lot of people think the bigger, the bigger you are and the more muscle you have means that you're going to be less flexible, but that's not true at all. I mean, you look at guys like Antoine Valiant, for example, he, he does the splits. Now you look at, you know, flex Wheeler back in the day, those guys are massive and they're doing the splits. So it's just, it's just about flexibility, man, flexibility and mobility. And then obviously you need to learn and know how to, uh, how your muscles operate, how to contract them properly and so on and so forth. Is that something that you emphasize in the off season as well? Like how, how often would you stretch? How long? Um, so to be honest, throughout these quarantines, I've been slacking. Um, but yes, absolutely. I'm back to my normal stretching routine, stretching and foam rolling, um, I'm very good at, I have like a team of people that work on my body in terms of like, I have a guy that does grass and work on me. Um, I have a couple people for deep tissue and massage. I have a guy for Cairo. I think keeping up on, on that kind of body maintenance is also very crucial as well, which is also in turn going to help you grow. What would you say is the most beneficial treatment for you? Is it the grafting or the cupping or what makes you feel, I guess, for lack of better words, brand new again after you get it done? <sighs> That's tough, man, because I I think they're all equally important. I wouldn't necessarily say one is more important than the other. Um, They all kind of go hand in hand. But if I were to, you know, narrow it down to one, I would probably say deep tissue massage. Deep tissue massage, you know, it helps release uh, parts of your muscles that are, you know, stuck or you have muscle adhesions and, and, when you have muscle adhesions and stuff like that over time, that's going to decrease your blood flow through there. You want to break that down and really uh, open up the muscle to increase the blood flow through there. Would you say these um, precautions or these types of therapy become more and more important the higher level that you go in the sport? Absolutely. I mean, that's not to say that they're not just as important at an amateur level. Uh, I mean, if anything, if any, if, there's serious competitors that want to make a career out of this. You should get in those habits at, at, uh, at an early stage. Yeah. The reason I asked this is because I think hearing it from a pro is going to make a greater impact than hearing it from an amateur. But you know, a lot of people, I think, especially in the beginning stages, and I, I even think that perhaps some pros or at the pro qualifier level, even, 
they don't take care of your, their bodies as perhaps they should. And that uh, essentially has an impact on their performance at the gym, on their recovery, then, you know, come the risk of injuries if everything is unstable. <clears throat> Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, you, ju you just said it. If you, if you don't keep up on stuff like that, you're going to be more injury prone. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what was the best piece of advice over the years? So I'm sure you received a lot of advice over the years, probably good and bad that you've ever received when it comes to competing. And what was the worst in your opinion? Best advice and worst advice. I think the best advice, man, probably came from Ron Partlow, another Canadian. He, he's, uh, he used to be local here. In, yeah, he used to be local here in Edmonton. Um, he's in, in uh, Coquitlam now in BC. But he always told me, man, he's always been very supportive of me. And uh, he always told me just to enjoy the process. Uh, he said some of his best memories or most of his best memories were in his amateur days. You know, the people that he met, whether, you know, fellow competitors or promoters or, or whoever. He's... Uh, He's established some great friendships and that's something that, you know, he's, he's always told me. And then that, that's holds true to this day for me. I've, I've met a lot of amazing people through, through competing and through my, my days as an amateur and some of those friendships I still hold very near and dear to my heart. Now I have a lot of great memories competing as an amateur and uh, yeah, just, in, just enjoy the process, man. And then worst advice, gee, I don't know. I don't know. Bad advice. Um, <laughs> We've all had at least one piece of it. That's a tough know, one, man. I know if somebody told Humberto one time to go eat McDonald's right before, what was it? You stepped on stage or something like that? <laughs> like, like, that yeah, that's that's right. Time. Actually, that was at, uh, no, it wasn't at that nationals that we're talking. My very first nationals was in 20, 2013. And, oh man, and, and this is where it's funny because as, younger up-and-coming or inexperienced competitors you're very impressionable right so Absolutely. if if someone can look amazing if they come and give you terrible advice even if you think that it could potentially be terrible advice it makes you think as like, well this guy looks amazing he must know what he's what he's talking about right so yeah this this guy basically what happened was i was two pounds over my limit so that year my first nationals this was in halifax nova scotia and I was two pounds over. I was being coached by Fouad at the time. That was my very first time working with him. And I basically needed to drop the two pounds in, I think it was like a couple hours. So I was like, that should be doable. So I went and I already had my, my tan, mind you. So I needed to go into the sauna, fully clothed, freaking hoodie, you know, the, 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 the sweatpants and everything. I was there <laughs> for about probably an hour between the steam room and the sauna. And I met a guy, he was, he was a heavier guy. He looked really good. He was basically going on about how like clean parabobs are not really the best approach. And he said, no, you got to just put your body, like just load your body with junk, junk food. So I'm like, Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm new. I'm really inexperienced. I'm, you know, I know my coach had me doing this, but then this guy is telling me this. And I'm kind of like, in my mind, I created a hybrid, right? Yeah. I ended up looking like absolute trash. Like, long story short. And, you know, lesson learned. But that's, you know, I always kind of resort back to that when I, when I, you know, whether I talk to my clients or whether I try to give people advice. It's like, if you hire a coach, you hire them, first of all, do your research properly. Don't just go by what your friend told you. And you can take that, that as, as some advice, but also do your research, see what this coach is all about, what their clients look like, what his perhaps personal competitive history is. As much information as you can 
you can gather to make a good informed decision. Because once you make that decision, stick to it. You hired him for a reason, trust the coach, and then just basically follow whatever they say. The only, the only way you're going to know whether that approach worked or not and to what degree is if you actually adhere to it. I, I'm sure you've you know, heard about many cases in which you know, people are getting coached by someone and you know they get advice from this person and this person just confuses the hell out of them it never works it never works see that's um you know as you know bodybuilding that's there's something to be said about bodybuilding in terms of like um trial and error a lot of a lot of what we do is trial and error what works for you might not work for me and vice versa so that's where um like you said when you when you hire a coach and you get to the last four weeks or two weeks or whatever, your mind starts playing tricks on you. And then you start seeking advice elsewhere. The problem with that is, is everything that this coach is telling you is, is calculated and it has an intended purpose. The same thing with this coach. But if you've been following this plan and now you're getting, uh, you're getting ideas from this coach and his approach might be completely different. You're basically just self-sabotaging yourself. Absolutely. And I think the, the, the same goes with, even if you're not, competing even even if you're just getting into the training you know someone that perhaps has no experience they go and see what the biggest guy is doing so one thing that they they miss to understand is that this person has been doing this for a while they're doing what works for them for what you know their type of body their level of muscularity their level of you know how how many years they've been training they've learned a lot along the way and then you know the newbie from an outsider's perspective they're just looking at the guys like he is big he must know what he's doing what he's doing i gotta do in order for me to get there right and it's when in reality it couldn't be farther from the truth because yeah perhaps you can take some some pointers from this person but if you're trying to do you know if you see ronnie coleman scoring 800 pounds and then you go and try to do that double as heavy as you can you're potentially going to injure yourself it's pr probably not going to do anything for your body so it's it, it just kind of tells you how um unfortunately impression impressionable someone that is just getting started in the sport is and the fact that there is a lot of information out there, but a lot of it is good. A lot of it is also either bad advice or not adequate for you specifically. Yeah, maybe contradictory to what you're doing. And that's why what you said is so important. It's important to educate yourself on who you're going to hire. See if it's a if it's a well fit, make sure they're knowledgeable and um, make sure that they're a good fit for you. Because, you know, just because I have success with with one coach doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have the same success with them. Now to touch on like my relationship with Neil, I have a hundred percent full faith and confidence in Neil. And that basically allows me to throw on autopilot. He thinks for me, I just do what he tells me and it, it works. So what was originally what drew you to go to Neil? Like when you did, you know, you were at a point where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm in need of another coach. What was your thought process or, you know, did you do any, you know, background research or what was your thought process when it came to finding that one fit for you? Um, specifically? So I, before I started working with Neil, I was working with uh, my best friend and training partner, Justin Huey, and I had great success with him. You know, I was knocking on the door um, for that pro status for a couple of years under Justin's guidance. And, and I learned a lot from Justin and my, my fiance, Nicole is actually currently being coached by Justin as well. So Justin, uh, Justin was great. He was a great fit for me. We did really well together. And uh, if it wasn't for the story that I'm about to tell you, I would still be working with Justin today. Because realistically, I would have eventually turned pro under Justin's guidance as well. 
But after I competed at the, the Arnold Classic in 2018, I met Flex Lewis back in 2015, I believe. And we've kept in, in close contact ever since then. Uh, Flex has always been very supportive of me and, and has reached out to me over my amateur years to wish me well before uh, competing. But after the 2018 Arnold Classic, you know, Flex, I had placed fourth in my division. And um, Flex had just reached out to me and congratulated me on my placing and then he just said, you know, I hope I'm not overstepping any boundaries, mate, but I think you could do great things with my coach, Neil. And then he said, let me know if you're interested and I'll put you in direct contact with him. <clears throat> so when one of your idols offers to set you up with his coach, it's not really yeah. something that you turn away. So I, obviously I was over the moon. I was super excited about that. And Flex put me in direct contact with Neil and then... I mean, the rest is history. I started, I started working with Neil. So I competed at the Arnold's that would have been end of February, beginning of March of 2018 by April, uh, Neil and I were, were full throttle together prepping for the Vancouver pro-am 2018. Uh, and he said to me when, when we went into that show, he said, I think this will be, um, win or like win the show or not, I think this should be your last run at classic. He, you know, he explained to me, and this was something that was already on my mind at that point, just being that I had, I had been the runner up to the pro card winner, you know, a few times at nationals and then placed fourth there at the Arnold's. And he just said to me, basically what I said to you guys earlier, he, he believed for me to reach my full potential that we would have to go the bodybuilding route. And um, I agreed. And that, you know, that's exciting to me because Although I loved classic and classic was very fun. Um, it just, it wasn't the same. I couldn't push the boundaries like I wanted to with training. Um, I was, I, I, I couldn't eat to grow. It was starting to almost become stale in a sense, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did that last classic show together and then switched to bodybuilding, but it was Flex Lewis that put me in touch with Neil. That just speaks to the importance of allowing yourself enough time to, especially if you're starting with a coach, allowing yourself enough time to actually get to know each other, for your coach to get to know how your body responds, for you to get to know the coach itself, the expectation, the way they, they do things. I, th I think a lot of people make the mistake of going to a coach when it's crunch time, whether it's like 12 weeks out or even 16 weeks out. Like if you're, especially with such a goal as yours, switching from, you know, graduating, so to speak, from uh, classic to bodybuilding, that this takes time. It's, it's not something that is going to be done in three, four, even five months. It's, it, I mean, it took you a while. You started working. How long was, because you started working with him, you said in about April. So April, yeah, yeah. you worked for, for one last classic PC show. And which one was that? So we, I would have stepped on stage July. We started right. in April and then I would have stepped on stage July. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I placed second to Richie Chan. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we did a full off season and then came back and attacked bodybuilding. And obviously so that was an entire to... year that you basically trained for bodybuilding, right? Absolutely. Yes. As soon as I stepped on stage, uh, after we got off stage in July, we started working towards bodybuilding immediately. That's amazing. Just show just the proofs in the pudding right there. Yeah. Yeah. That was so it was a full year. So I started working, I got off stage July and then I worked and worked until we came full circle around to July, the following year in 2019. So that was a full, a full year dedicated to, to growing. 
Perfect. And, uh, then also, and then to touch on that as well. So after I turned pro, I've been, you know, as much as I've been able to with these lockdowns and, and whatnot, um, I've ever since I started competing in 2014 and I've done shows every year. I've never taken a full year off to grow. This is the first time I've ever taken a full year off to grow. As soon as all this COVID stuff kind of came into the picture, we decided early on that we weren't even going to worry about shows just because there was too many unknown variables. And obviously, as you both know, unknown variables suck for bodybuilding. So we decided that I would just take all of 2020 and dedicate it to growing. And then um, here we are now still in the, the COVID pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe it? Like even over a year after we're still with a lot of uh, unknowns. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's a strange time to be alive. That's for sure. But um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and, uh, and that's all I can really ask for happy and healthy. That's the biggest thing. Uh, <laughs> out of curiosity. So, what are the restrictions like in Alberta? I know for a while it was say it was said that gyms were open, but only for one-on-one training or something along those lines, right? Yeah, so they've been pretty harsh here, man. Like for Christmas, for example, I we were it was deemed illegal um, to have anyone over. It was household members only. I couldn't even have like my parents over for Christmas. Uh, so we were like lockdown, lockdown. The only thing that were that was open here was big corp companies like Walmart, Costco, all small businesses were locked down. So it was this last winter, man, was weird because our, our winters are very severe here too. It gets really cold. Uh, we have a lot of snow. So not only was I not, you know, not able to, to go and train, but we were, I essentially didn't leave my house unless it was to get groceries and then sneaking over to buddies to use his basement equipment. Yeah, no, you have to. You got to. I mean, you lose your mind if you don't for a while, right? I was losing my mind, man. It was it was hard, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. I've never. I don't think I've ever really dealt with like seasonal depression or anything in my life. But mm -hmm. I went through a through a period through this last uh, lockdown that we had where I didn't feel like myself. Um, it was it wasn't good, man. So my you know my heart goes out to all the people that are dealing with that and we're already dealing with stuff before this COVID happened. Like, I mean, it's been a hard year for everyone. <clears throat> that's for sure. Well, there's so many things. I mean, even here in Winnipeg, uh, like we, we all, uh, both know tons of people who struggle with mental health and, you know, it was almost like a, a carrot being dangled basically the first time they reopened certain things. And then when they closed them again, man, the impact the second time around was almost twice as bad. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, with the carrot dangling out in front, like uh, when they announced that we were moving into our next phase and our gyms could open, they they slid that in the fine print that it was for one-on-one -on -one personal training only. So, I mean, I, I don't train at a big corporate gym. I train at like a, a privately owned gym. It's more of like a, a bodybuilder gym, but those guys can't afford to open for one-on-one -on -one personal training. You know, the cost that it, the cost of, just turning on the power, you know, turning the lights on and heating the building, you're not going to be able to cover that with one-on-one -on -one training. So those gyms obviously just stayed closed. The only ones that were really able to open were the, you know, big corporations like LA fitness and world health and good life. Good life. Yeah. Uh, no, it's definitely, it's definitely wild to see, man, especially with small businesses. I mean, I'm sure all three of us know a lot of people that own businesses, for example, and they're probably not big ones. So to see so many doors closed, especially over, it was, yeah, it's like very disheartening, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, man. It's, it, it's frustrating too. 
but I mean, we're all, we're all kind of along for the ride, whether we like it or not. <laughs> That's just yep. it. Um, Absolutely. Um, so I would like to switch gears slightly here. Um, the way I understand your fiance, she competes as well, right? Yeah, she competes in the figure division. So I'd like to know a little bit about that dynamic. Have you ever prepped together for a show? Um, you know, what, what's it like to have someone like her that she fully understands how it works as a support system? Did you, did you, did she start competing right around the same time as you, when you first started dating or how, how, how did that work? Uh, in the um, so we, we met through the fitness industry, essentially. Like I met her, um, I met her online, basically. She had, at the, at the time I was working with, with Dustin Cosman, who, who recently passed, um, and he rest in peace. But um, that's how I met Nicole. And she started, she used to compete in the bikini division. Um, but back then we didn't, we didn't do preps together. Um, mm -hmm. But fast forward to 2018, we both did the Vancouver Pro-Am, uh, as well as 2019, the year I turned pro, we were also uh, both prepping for that show. But I, I, I hit the jackpot with Nicole, man. She, uh, she knows what it's about. She, she's very passionate about it too. She loves it. Um, she, she's like me. She likes to be in prep. She craves that structure. I, I, I really, I thrive in that, uh, the structure that you need for a bodybuilding contest prep, but, um, she knows what it's about, man. It's, she's no, she's no stranger to it. And not only that, she's, um, she's no stranger to the hard work. Like she doesn't skip meals. She doesn't skip cardio sessions. She doesn't skip workouts. She's, uh, we, we basically vibe on the, on the same wavelength, if you will. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in that sense, you know, when we're in prepping and you know how it is there, there's days where I feel like I'm one foot in the grave and it's going to take all my energy to go, you know, get through my workout on those days, she'll go get groceries or she'll prep food and then vice versa. You know, she picks up this where I'm slacking and, and vice versa, where we've, we've figured out that couple dynamic that works really well. And, and we, we vibe really well together. So I'm very very fortunate, man. It's it, that doesn't just come naturally either for all you couples listening. Um, it takes work, man. It takes work. It takes a mutual respect and understanding of one another. Yeah. It's a very interesting topic to me because, you know, myself as a coach, I work with clients and, and, you know, you yourself, obviously, you know, how important that support system is. So, you know, there are situations in which, for example, only one person competes and the other one, in some cases, they try to understand to the best of their ability, but until they actually go through it themselves, that's when they really, it really hits them. It's like, oh, that's why you were feeling like that. That's why you were, you know, so tired or irritable mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be, right? And in some other cases, you know, let's say one starts competing and the other one supports, but then eventually the other one, you know, wants to compete as well. So, you know, the question that I get sometimes is like, is that a good idea? Is that a bad idea? I think, I don't know if you would agree, it just depends on the person. It depends on the yeah. couple and it depends mm -hmm. on how, as you uh, explain, how willing they are to actually make it work. Yeah. So like you said, you, you mentioned from the, the competitor uh, point of view. And then when someone, when the significant other actually goes through it and they're like, oh shit, this is what you were dealing with. Um, you kind of, you kind of build that understanding, but I think it's also very important on, on um, the person who's competing to understand that, you know, you're, you're subjecting yourself to this. No one's making you prep. 
No one's making you diet. No one's making you train. This is something that you chose. So because that is a choice that you made, you have to make a conscious effort to uh, not use the people around you as a, as a stress outlet or a punching bag. We tend to be the hardest on the people that we love the most because we feel most vulnerable with them. But you know, for me, if I want to be if I want to be a successful IFBB pro and make a career um, c- career of competing, a longevity uh, I, I plan to have longevity in this sport as well then I also have to be very, very conscious of how I'm treating the people around me. And I think that's what a lot of people uh, lose sight of sometimes. They think of it, and this is bodybuilding. I mean, let's be real. It's a very selfish sport. But you forget that um, you don't have to be an asshole to the people around you just Mm -hmm. because you're in prep, just because you're tired, just because you're suffering, just because you're sore. You know, this is something that we all choose to go through. No No one's holding the gun to our heads making us go through it do you get um whether it's a fan or whether it's a friend do you get you know well you, when you're training do you get uh, interrupted fairly often sometimes when uh you know when you're in the middle of training or how do you deal with this situations in which you know you're irritable perhaps or very tired what is an advice or or, or train of thought that you would give people as to how to deal with this obstacles when it comes to what you're feeling and and, and, and realizing, as you mentioned, that it's your choice ultimately, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the human interaction part of this, I love, I love meeting new people. Like I said before, I've, you know, I've met some pretty amazing people through the fitness industry, not even just competitors, people that, people that are, I don't like to call them fans, more people that support me. Um, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, without that, without those people that support you, without fans of bodybuilding, there is no sport really, is there? But for the most part, people are pretty respectful to me. Um, they know this is something I take very serious. It's my, it's my career. It's how I, it's how I make a living. So people tend to, uh, be pretty, pretty mindful and respectful. You do get the odd person that comes up to you and I've been tapped on the shoulder right before I'm about to drop down into the shoot to squat, but uh, people are pretty respectful for the most part, man. But I mean, the people that aren't, again, you just, you have to make a strong conscious effort that uh, they might not quite understand to the extent of what you're going through. So you just have to be mindful, man. A lot of that is just, you know, swallowing your pride and ego. Yeah, I think uh, that's very important to to understand. I think you have to realize that, you know, there's people that they're very foreign to bodybuilding or even 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 training in the beginning. Right. So you have to empathize in that in, in that regard, because when someone comes and perhaps they're talking to you a little bit more than you would prefer or they perhaps interrupt your workout, whether it's a question or a comment or whatever, it's the fact that they generally do not think or they do not realize what you actually, the level of focus and effort that you have to put yourself through in order to succeed, right? They're completely foreign to this. So Mm -hmm. I think once you realize that you're a little bit more understanding and you're better prepared to actually deal with these situations as opposed to just lash out to them, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know what? And and I actually, I encourage people to to approach me in the gym. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've left the gym and someone's messaged me on Instagram. I just saw you in the gym, man. And, and I encourage those people to, you know, come up to me and say, hello, just, just make sure I'm not in the middle of a set. Yeah, exactly. Make sure I don't have 500 pounds on my back. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, You know how it is. Sometimes I'm in prep and those four weeks, especially, you know, I, I go in, I got the blinders up and, 
nothing really exists outside of what I'm trying to accomplish in that moment. So uh, it, uh, you, you got to keep in mind sometimes when these people approach you, it takes balls to approach you. It's intimidating. You know, we're all, we're all bulked up and mm-hmm. pumps crazy. We've got veins everywhere. So it's, <laughs> it, you know, it takes a lot of guts to, to approach someone that, uh, that you admire online. And I, I, I would hate for anyone to, you know, see me in real life and then, me not live up to the expectation of who I was online or who they thought I was online. You know, I always want to be, I'm me. I don't have different versions of myself. <clears throat> and that's very important and rare, I think, these days, because, you know, you'll have a lot of people portray a certain personality online and then you meet them. You're like, oh, there's completely different. to the Disappointing, man. You, I've, you, know? you know, I've had uh, people that I look up to in the bodybuilding industry who have, you know, treated me completely different in person than how they, you know, um, portray themselves online and it sucks and it's disappointing. Uh, so that's not something that I ever want people to, uh, be disappointed with, with myself. No, I was gonna say, it's awesome that you, that you share that though, because I feel, you know, after you watch someone's stories so often or their posts and you follow them and you become a genuine, uh, supporter of theirs, right. It could definitely, you know, be very disheartening, deflating if you meet somebody in person, for example, and they, they don't live up to that expectation. And it's funny that you mentioned Ron Parlow earlier, because when I met him, when I went to Vancouver a couple of years ago, it's exactly, he is literally the person that you see online, like the, the genuineness behind it, everything from the handshake <laughs> to just the conversations, to hearing the stories, to making you feel welcome in the gym. It's, and, yeah, and I that. feel... Sorry, so I feel like that's what everybody looks up to, you know. Is, yeah, is yeah. He's everyone living imp- that hype. It's impossible not to be in, in like in an uplifting or a good mood around Ron. He's just one of those guys where, you know, people. He's like he's like a magnet for that. You know, he kind of brings people together, or he just he, he's a people person, man. He's uh, he's he's good at what he does. That's for sure. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him in person, but uh, I've, I've been following following him for a while, and. Uh, it was such a motivating moment when he won his pro card because he had been getting second consistently year after year after year. And that is just such a strong testament as to the not give up, that that is the personification of do not give up. Because even though that happened year after year, the moment, like even, even, even at 40 years old or whatever, he kept through with it and he got it. So I think a lot of people would most people would actually have convinced themselves to not continue because they they would whether it was it would be the train of thought of oh maybe the judges don't like me or maybe you know i'm not cut out for this i'm not good enough whatever that to me was a very very special video when i saw it because it was also very emotional and uh that's what we live for like that's the moment that we all think about when we're training when we're posing when we're envisioning that show they right it's such a it, it's got to be something else yeah and that's why you know when you asked me what it was like uh to go through that it's it's really hard to put into words man because like you just said that's something that uh that you envision you know when you're training when you're doing your cardio when you're practicing your posing you know that that moment is something that you envision but it's uh it, it's it's hard to put into words when you when you actually go through it and and ron Ron was like a hometown hero around, uh, around Edmonton here. So I was actually at that show. That was, that was nationals actually in Edmonton as well. Um, that was 2015. So I was, I was backstage at that show when that happened. So 
I was, uh, it was very exciting to be there that day. That's for sure. Absolutely. So kind of just going back, just to kind of wrap up the topic of the support system. Um, do you have, for, for the couples that will, they are perhaps right now prepping together or will be prepping together in the future. Do you have any, any tips or advice for revival of the prep advice for them to actually apply in order for them to ensure that, you know, they go through the prep and their relationship does not take that much of a hit as it could potentially. Yeah. Um, just be patient with each other, be patient and understanding and, and uh, put yourself in, in your significant other's shoes. I think that's something that's where the problems start to happen is when people think too selfishly, they don't, mm -hmm. uh, they're unable to remove themselves from, from their own perspective and place themselves in, a, in someone else's perspective and perspective is everything. So if I'm only, if I'm only thinking selfishly, like, well, I'm this or I'm that, or I'm tired or I'm sore and I'm take and I'm not taking your feelings into consideration and to create some problems. So just, uh, Patience and understanding and, and just a mutual respect for one another is so, so, so important. I have one last question, actually, before we, uh, we wrap things up. And it's just about longevity and life after bodybuilding. Um, I know you're probably not thinking that far ahead. Maybe you are. I don't know. I'm curious. Let's say it's 10, 15 years from now. You're done, you're, you're done competing. What does life look like after bodybuilding for you, Cody? Well, let's make one thing for, for certain here. Fitness will always be a part of my life. Um, I'll be bodybuilding, if you will, uh, long after my competitive days are done. Um, I mean, you look at guys like Dorian Yates and, and, and you know, even, even Arnold at his age, those guys are, you know, leading or living healthy lifestyles. And, and this comes full circle kind of to the topics that we've touched on throughout, uh, throughout today's podcast here is uh, bodybuilding should be a longevity sport. Um, and, and, and that's why, you know, your massage work, that kind of maintenance upkeep on your body is so important. Um, supplementation, exercise, all of that is so, so important just for your overall health and well-being in general, not just as a bodybuilder, but just as a, just as a person. Um, I think that's something that's be, that's sorry to kind of, stray away here but i think that's something that's heavily uh being missed right now in uh today's mainstream media and with all these <clears throat> with all these health experts and whatnot it's it's wild to me that um these people aren't stressing the importance of physical exercise you know supplementation cardio things that improve your overall health and well-being we're, we're kind of focused on you know vaccines and whatnot but i think i think with with this corona pandemic it's a clear uh clear indication that we we have a health crisis in the world um if anything so be kind to your body you only get one that's that's, that's about it that's all i can to finish that note off no, that's a great yeah. remark i just have one last question if you could train with anyone past or present who would it be Anyone, anyone, bodybuilding, uh, fitness personality, whatever. In their prime or not up to you. That's so tough. I would love to get a session in with Lee Priest. Ever since I first got into bodybuilding, man, I just like, I'm a short guy like Lee. Lee's, you know, about an, an inch or two shorter than me. I'm about five, six and three quarters, but I would love to get a session in with Lee. Lee is someone that is another guy that I've always looked up to 
uh, that's a physique that I've always um, wanted to emulate, if you will. I think he's got a, I think he had a beautiful physique in his, in his prime. So I would love to uh, get, especially an arm workout. I'd love to get an arm workout. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And he, he's, he's got quite a personality too. So that'll make he does. I've fun. actually been fortunate enough that I've met Lee in person. So what was that like? Just out of curiosity. He's another one of those guys that he, exactly what you see is what you get. He's uh, black and white, no bullshit. He is who he is. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I think he's great. That's awesome. Actually, I want to expand on Humberto's question one, with one last one. So we covered Lee Priest for training, but if you can go out and let's say have drinks or dinner with one other person from the fitness world, who would that be? I would love to go for guys. dinner with Jay Cutler and pick his brain. Always Jay. Everyone picks Jay. What's that? <laughs> Everybody always Jay. picks Jay. <laughs> Jay is just, you know, Jay is Jay, man. Not only was he an incredible bodybuilder, but I mean, you just look at what he's done in terms of the business aspect of the fitness industry. Uh, I think, I think everyone could uh, benefit from taking a page out of his book. So I would love to, to pick his brain and, and uh, see what's going on up there. Right Especially on, right tying on. back to, uh, you know, what Byron was asking regarding life after bodybuilding, right? I think he's a great example of absolutely you know, what you can do with after your career, with your career, with your exposure, with your uh, support base. Um, you know, he's, he's an, a very successful entrepreneur. So yeah, he still uh, looks great, too. Like that guy looks healthy. healthy. Absolutely. Um, all right, man. Well, I want to thank you for the time, Cody. Really appreciate you hopping on with us and just hanging out. It's been an absolute treat. Um, before we go, do you have, do you want to shout out your sponsor? Do you want to shout out Steel, Neil Yoda Hill, anybody? Yeah, you know, shout out to everyone really that's been supporting me over the years. You know, I've been with Steel since 2017. They've been great to me. You know, a big, big shout out to my fiance, Nicole. She's been by my side throughout since the beginning of my fitness journey or my bodybuilding career. Justin Huey is another one, someone that's very, very uh, special to me. Jenna with, you know, Jenna with Bombshell uh, is another one of my sponsors. She's, she's incredible. And then my coach, Neil Hill, man, the, the relationship that I've developed with Neil over the last few years has, has been great. And that's, you know, that's obviously a direct attribute as to uh, my success and kind of where I'm headed with my career. So I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to making my pro debut and um Shout out to you guys. Thank you for having me on. This was fun, boys. And uh, maybe we can do this again once I get some uh, some pro experience under my belt. We would love to. Absolutely. That would be awesome, man, for sure. Yeah, awesome, guys. Uh, well, thank you, Cody. We appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon after you make your debut. Until next time, you guys take Bye. care. You too. Bye. Bye.